Edwards and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw and authentic. Today I bring you an enlightening and for me calming conversation with Jenny Stedman of The Potential Project. It's the first podcast in series three and the first of 2023 and it covers a great example of starting as you mean to go on. Enjoy. I've had the pleasure of experiencing Jenny Stedman in action many times over the past 12 months as a speaker, facilitator, MC, and a panel moderator. And if there was one standout quality that I could choose, it would be her ability to be and stay fully present, connected, and engaged with her audience. How does she do this? Well, that's part of what we're going to be exploring here today. Jenny Stedman is the Acting National Director with The Potential Project, a global leadership consulting research and training organization. And she also facilitates mindfulness programs with her company, Open Wisdom, in the beautiful Blue Mountains of New South Wales here in Australia. Our topic of conversation today is the essence of mindfulness in leadership. Jenny, a very warm welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thank you, Claire. It's so lovely of you to ask me to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And it's great that um, ours is the, the first podcast of season three and 2023. Isn't that fantastic? And your podcast is doing so well. So... Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, look, before we start delving into the world of, of, of mindfulness and, and 21st century leadership, Jen, I was, uh, as, I, as I do researching my guests, I was fascinated by your career journey and looking at your LinkedIn profile and how eclectic it was. And I just, I just really love to hear um, more uh, about that in whichever way you want to share. And um, I won't give away any more spoilers. It's over to you. <laughs> I guess you could say that it is eclectic. I started off my life or well, my upbringing was all about music as I was trained as a classical musician. So from even before I finished school and certainly afterwards, I was performing in orchestras, including the Sydney Symphony Orchestra as a casual and in other bands and ensembles. But, Claire, it's been a very long time now since I last did that. <laughs> in the early years post-music, I did a lot in the HR space and learning and development, leadership development. I managed an employment agency for several years. I worked for the Sydney 2000 Olympic and Paralympic Games, recruiting all of the paid staff. Then oh, was wow. a venue, yeah, was a venue staffing manager at one of the largest venues, and then I moved into looking after organisational-wide strategy and transformation, something I really enjoyed given the breadth and the depth of that role. And now, as you said, I'm the Acting National Director for Potential Project Australia. Wow. Just thinking about if I can pick up on, um, say, your role in recruiting the paid staff for the Olympics... Uh, I could imagine because of the timescales on that, was was that a pretty stressful role? 
It was. Like there is nothing like a deadline of the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that can absolutely not be postponed or delayed in any way whatsoever. So for all of us working in the organising committee there, it was a lot of pressure, but it was also a lot of fun. Like we, mm. oh, It was an experience that for many of us just couldn't be replicated. I know there are also many who go on, who are basically doing the game circuits all around the world. But for many of us, that experience was probably not going to be replicated. So it yeah. was a lot of fun. But yes, definitely, definitely a lot of pressure as well. So looking back at, oh, by the way, what was the, what's your instrument? <laughs> sometimes I like to ask people to guess I won't put you through that but <laughs> nobody ever guesses because especially when they see me I'm only quite small as you know and people get a real surprise when I say that it was trumpet, trumpet oh, and, wow. and piano but trumpet was what I played with the orchestra oh fabulous you're not small you're tiny <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a giant in comparison oh fabulous so so thinking back so um, the discipline of your music career, your um, your focus on HR and L and D, um, recruitment strategy transformation. You've got a, such a breadth of um, of capability and discipline there. I suppose my sort of linking into the topic of mindfulness was. And even though we, I don't know, maybe we were or weren't aware of the term mindfulness then, I'm curious about, so, so your ability, as I, as I said in the, in, in, the intro, uh, in the intro, about your ability to be so present and, and totally focused and attentive on your audience, which is what I observed, is that something that you got from your music training that you've always had, that you learned to develop, that you weren't aware of how did that come about oh well thank you very much for saying that that's really lovely especially when for example you're emceeing a conference or whatever it might be there's so much that's going on in my head as well as what I need to say like there's making sure that the the things on the stage are going well and what's got to come up next and all of that. So I really appreciate getting that feedback. Thank you. But to answer your question, I would say it's definitely something that I've consciously developed. Yeah, I was first introduced to the practice of mindfulness when I was still at school and that's a story in itself. Wow. So by the time I actually started working, I already had the experience of the benefits of training your mind to be more present, aware, and so much more. But it's a bit like brushing your teeth. You can't do it once or just <laughs> for a while and think that you don't need to brush your teeth again after that. It's a lifelong process, and mm -hmm. I feel like that when it comes to being mindful too. And so over the years I've done a lot of training, retreats, daily practice, and so on. Wow. Please take me back to your school story. <laughs> <laughs> So the school story, well, as I said, I did a lot of music when I was growing up. So when I finished year 10 and I grew up outside of Sydney, well outside of Sydney, I got a music scholarship to go to a school in Sydney to do year 11 and 12 of high school, so my final two years of high school. And 
it ended up being through an even longer story that we don't need to go into, but it, it ended up being that I lived on my own. We got this one bedroom unit for me to move into. And so at the age of 15, then I was living on my own. I was living in a city that I wasn't familiar with. I was um, going to a brand new school that was very different demographic to the school that I'd come from. Like people were getting dropped off to school in gold Rolls Royces and Porsches and things like that. And I was just under an extreme amount of pressure at that that point in time, just everything that I was needing to deal with. I'd experienced some trauma in my life prior to that. And so I was also kind of in the throes of um, PTSD. It was later described to me as, so I'm a 15-year-old living on my own, new school, new city, high standards to achieve and all of that. And one of the members of the executive at the school offered mindfulness meditation to any of the senior students and it really only ended up being two of us who took it up but I did that and it so helped me with everything that I was dealing with and um, so that was back in the 80s and it's been a part of my life since then. Gosh thank thank you for sharing that Jenny I can't I'm I'm trying to put myself in your shoes but it is so extreme to be so young and and to have to live and operate so independently um yeah I'm 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 not I'm not sure what to say but my goodness (laughs) thank goodness that that person did exist yes And, and you know the funny thing is is that we had our 30 year school reunion about however many years ago that was, five or six years ago. And when I was at school, I thought that that particular teacher was ancient back then. And yet (laughs) there she was at this 30-year school reunion. (laughs) But I had the chance to thank her and and thank you so much for what you did. Not only did it get me through a very, very difficult time, but it's something that's made a big difference in Mm. my life ever since. And I've had it as being part of my life ever since then. So it was so fulfilling to be able to say thank you to her oh and she wasn't 110 no she wasn't so maybe she wasn't ancient 35 years ago (laughs) quite likely younger than I am right now (laughs) (laughs) oh funny oh gosh so I suppose just just picking up on that when you know when we when we talk about when we talk about leadership, obviously, you know, the, the, the essence of leadership is self-leadership first and, and self-leadership requires self-awareness. So going back to that first experience of mindfulness in in helping you through an extremely difficult time, um, what what is it about mindfulness in your experience that is so powerful um, in that ability to help one, I suppose, deal with challenge and change and and become more self-aware? Mm. Well, the awareness is so, so valuable. And that's a large part of what mindfulness is. Like if I were to give you a definition of it at the moment and there are so many different ones but if I was to give one now it's I would say that it's 
Mindfulness is the awareness that arises as we pay attention to our present moment experience with openness, curiosity, and a willingness to be with that experience. So I'll say that again. Mm. Mindfulness is the awareness that arises as we pay attention to our present moment experience. But we're not paying attention in any old way. We're paying attention with openness, curiosity, and a willingness to be with that experience. So it's very much about cultivating a calm, focused, and clear mind. And if I was to put it even more simply, it's really like it's the art of non-reactivity. It really helps us to be aware of what's going on around and inside of us and to more easily access that gap, that space, where rather than just auto-react, autopilot, we can instead just pause and choose what our response is going to be in that moment. I, I love that, the art of non-reactivity. And, you know, and, and it... And it sounds so easy. We just choose, you know, we choose to pause, we choose to respond rather than react. Yet, what you know, what you were saying right at the beginning about that it's it, it's a, it's a lifelong journey. Um, what what is it uh, in your experience that that makes this so difficult for some people? Maybe not so difficult for for others to be able to do that. To be mindful, do you mean? Yes, yes. To to have that that level of awareness to uh, to not react, to be non judgmental, to be curious, to choose our response. I'm thinking back to that wonderful quote by Vic, by uh, Viktor Frankl about yes. about the space and choosing our response, and in that response lies our growth and our freedom. So yes. I'm just curious as to in with all the the colleagues that you've worked with, the leaders that you've worked with, both um, as a colleague and, and, and as a facilitator. I, I mean, asking if there's any patterns, that sounds a bit daft, but, you know, just in your experience, what makes it so difficult for some and maybe less difficult for others? Mm. Well, firstly, I guess I would say that being mindful isn't particularly difficult, but remembering to be mindful is more difficult. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a golden nugget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, it's the remembering to do it. But also because now more than ever, our working environment is full of distractions. Like I'm old enough to remember when we could successfully do our jobs with just a typewriter and a, and a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you look at your phone or desktop, Claire, you probably have a vast array of apps, all of which can notify you every time yeah. they want your attention, along with emails, other sorts of communication devices. And I think part of what makes this remembering to do it difficult is that it's like we're always on. There's an overload mm-hmm. of information, the pressure for leaders and just people in general in work and life these days is higher than it's ever been. So unless we are very intentional about how we show up, and I know this is about leadership, so how we show up as a leader, then we can get pulled into a default way of working that does make it hard to remember to stop and to pause. Yeah. And to not be afraid of the silences. 
Yeah, that's a big one as well. I think not being afraid of the silences and not being afraid of time when we're not jam-packed full of doing stuff. You know what it's like when you look around and there's an opportunity where people might be able to stop and pause, like sitting at a coffee shop waiting for somebody to turn up, for example, or waiting for a meeting to start or whatever it might be. And instead of just stopping, (laughs) we're on our phones and we're checking things and we're checking the news, we're checking Twitter, we're checking TikTok or whatever it might be, like not being afraid of those moments of stillness as well. Actually, I think that that is such a, a a great practical tip because, you know, we all, well, not we all, I don't mean to generalise, but so often, you know, we're meeting people for a coffee and, and if, you know, like me, you, you want to be on time so you turn up five minutes early. And, mm. yeah, to put that digital device away, to just sit quietly and maybe just observe, be curious about the people around you or the sounds or what have you it's it's just a few minutes but it's a few golden minutes isn't it and it's also an opportunity to check inside of us just to see well what is present for me right now and an example that I can think of that comes to mind is there was one time going back a few years I was meeting someone for a work-related meeting and I hadn't actually met her in person before but we'd organized to meet at a particular coffee shop well we were meeting for those in Sydney of your listeners, they might know the coffee shop up the top of the Museum of Contemporary Arts. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, but the MCA, it wasn't open yet. Like I, like you, I get to places early. And so I was, we had organised to meet at the time at which the Museum of Contemporary Arts was opening, which meant that was the time that the coffee shop was opening. But because I got there early, I was standing out the front. And there were a whole bunch of other people out there early as well. And I looked around and everyone they were all on their devices, which is fine. Who knows? There might have been stuff that they needed to know about at that point in time, like no problem about that. I've done that too. But I took that opportunity to do what we call a body scan. Like I was just actually checking in and just noticing what am I feeling inside my body at the moment? And I particularly noticed that there was a bit of like shakiness around my knees. I was standing. I wasn't sitting down. I was Mm -hmm. just standing at the entrance there. And with that, remembering that the definition is the awareness that arises as we pay attention. So the, what I realised, the awareness that I got was, in fact, I was more nervous about this meeting than I realised that I was going to be. So I used that time then just to do some calmer, deeper breathing, some calm, deep breathing, and just tapped into the nerves that I was feeling in that moment. And then by the time it got to... 10 a.m. or whatever time the the thing opens and we, and we had organised to meet, I felt a lot more present, a lot mm-hmm. more uh, just ready for what was going ahead there. And even though this wasn't a big deal, it wasn't a big deal meeting or anything, but it's just useful to have used those couple of minutes to check inside of myself and notice what was present and get the insight from that and deal with it then and there. Oh, thank you. I think I think so often we can be very disconnected from what our bodies are trying to tell us um, or, or the valuable information that they have. And if I might, if I might ask if it's OK, because I, I, I know at one point last year, I think you stepped in 
at the last minute to MC a large conference mm-hmm. that I was attending. I had no idea that you were that you just decided to step in last minute. How, if you can remember, did you use your mindfulness practice to to set yourself up for that? Yeah, <laughs> that was that that was pretty stressful. <laughs> um, and I only got one and a half hours sleep that oh, night. Oh no! I had to drive for oh, over an hour to get there, and and so I was. This was very last minute for me to be doing this, and there was a lot going on behind the scenes. And I, and because of things that were happening at at home, and my husband getting up in the middle of the night and things like that, I woke up. And so anyway, I turned up there, and I just, well, I also tapped into my training as a musician as well. Like I think that has certainly helped me. But training as a musician is a bit like mindfulness training as well there there are parallels there are parallels there for sure um but I did do exactly what I was talking about that I did outside the museum of contemporary arts I did do a very intentional uh allowing my body to settle checking in with what am I feeling and where am I feeling it inside my body and then how can I use my breath to help me release any of that unnecessary effort or tension that I was holding inside of me at that moment and the other thing that I often do in situations like that is that I I look around and I just feel a sense of whether you want to call it compassion or whether it's kindness or whether it's just a connection with common humanity I like to look around the audience and just feel as though we are all here together. No one is here to give me a hard time and I'm here to do the very best that I can by them. And that helps me to settle. And the other thing that I did on that particular occasion as well was I went, before the event started on that day, I went into the audience and I just went to talk. To, as people were arriving and taking a seat, I just introduced myself to as many people as I could and why are you here and what do you hope to get out of it and it's so nice to meet you and what's your role and so by the time I actually got on stage I had calmed myself I had felt very grounded through that mindfulness practice that I did I'd felt connected through that very deliberate practice as well and then I'd actually spoken to people so I was already in the flow of talking and smiling and being in the zone so yeah that's how I, I watched you do that I, re- I remember seeing you do that yeah <laughs> and, so, and just it's so lovely picking up on something that you just said before about people being on their devices and then you said and look at who knows they might needed to have to have been on their devices is this aspect of of being non-judgmental and and linking that I suppose with leadership quality so how oh gosh I don't even know how to ask this properly and we've gone way off from the questions I was planning to ask you but I'm just curious is that how can we how is that something that we can learn because you just instinctively said that it was a seek first to understand attitude that you had in a, in, a, in a throwaway comment, but thinking about as leaders, um, how often judging something or, or, or being judgmental can can get us on to, into hot water sometimes. 
Um, how do you cultivate that? Mm, well, I really believe that we can cultivate that through a formal mindfulness practice as well. Mm-hmm. Though we don't have to, we don't have to do this formally. But this is a little bit like supercharging our insight in a way where we get to notice moment by moment all of the judgments that we carry within us right at this very moment we've probably got a whole lot of judgments you might be judging the comfort level of the chair that you're sitting on at the moment you might be judging the comfort level of the temperature that you can feel against your skin whether you've had enough to eat today or not or so many other things and this awareness as we pay attention is about noticing when our judgments about things as being pleasant, unpleasant, are taking us off balance. And so we can start with those small things. And as we keep going with this, we then notice when, oh, we have a judgment about the our direct report who may have said something or someone in our team or whatever who may have said something in a particular way. And we instantly put an interpretation on that of what they are obviously thinking and what they mean. Or we see people who are to keep going with that same example who are using their devices when there's a beautiful scenery to look at and we can instantly judge that they're doing that for whatever bad reason and they really should be (laughs) looking at the beautiful view. But the more that we can notice that this is the narrative that we've got going on inside of us and the more that we train ourselves to realise that our thoughts aren't facts, they're Mm. just thoughts, then the more easily we can just choose to let go of that. Ah, that's a thought, but that doesn't mean that it's true or that it's a fact or anything like that. And so that's where it becomes really beneficial as we're leaders as well, just noticing when have we jumped to thinking that something is a fact or that we know for certain or that we think that we can read people's minds or that we have interpreted a look a particular way or we have any, I mean, there's so many different examples that we could give there. But part of that is, like you were saying right at the beginning, Claire, it's that self-awareness that we have so that we can notice those times when we're letting that take over our our how we act and again that's where that having that bit of a gap and being responsive rather than reactive can make a difference and that's interesting because as I'm listening to you speak what what came through for me was that it was the word judgment in a way was neutral but it was the interpretation that had a bias on it Mm. I don't know and and also maybe is this is then linked in a way to to our biases um and so if we can practice mindfulness might that then help us in a way to mitigate our biases well there have been research and studies that show exactly that that show exactly that that the more mindful we are the more aware we are of our biases and the more likely we are then to act with cognitive flexibility rather than this rigidity that we have when we're not aware that our biases are there inside of us and controlling us. Tell me more about cognitive flexibility. 
Well, that's it's kind of linked to what we're talking about as well, but that's just being willing to see things as though with fresh eyes. Yeah. It's, it's that openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with the experience as it is rather than the interpretation that we're putting on it. So cognitive flexibility is that ability to see something yeah without those layers of preconceived ideas or past experience or our expertise or our knowledge and just being with it as it is seeing a situation as it is and that opens up a, a lot of options for us in terms of innovation in terms of how we are as leaders how we can manage other people also with supporting our I believe anyway our own resilience and other people's resilience as well if we're not seeing things through a narrow point of view but being willing to look more broadly absolutely and I think that you know if you think of that in the context of change and and the the, the nature of change today the speed of change the complexity of change um, mm. it's it, it's a pretty um, useful trait to develop I really think that it is yeah if we keep looking at something the way that we have always looked at it we might not notice then when it changes because we're just attuned to looking at it or a person in a particular way and I think it is important when as leaders that we are able to be open to seeing other people for how they are changing nobody stays static we don't I'm not the same person that I always was and certainly hoping that people might be able to see me for the changes that I have as the years and time days moments go on so Mm. I think as a leader that's really important and so thinking about, um, I suppose, if, if you're aware of it or can share, how mindfulness then came into mainstream leadership in business or has it always been there in a different label? Um, what's your experience of that from, from your career, from your training with the Potential Project? Mm, so how did it become mainstream in business or, or, or is it is it I'm making an assumption that it is mainstream <laughs> in business today maybe it's not oh in some areas it is and in other areas it isn't like some aspects of business whether it's those particular leaders or whether it's particular sectors or the type of work that they're doing have been more open to it and then I think in other areas it's still something that they haven't really considered yet or explored yet so I think there's a lot of possibility there still within business but it's becoming well um, it's it's become unfortunately in a way a bit of a buzzword like you can even buy mindful mayonnaise as an example No. Yeah, they've jumped on this mindfulness bandwagon, which is has a real downside. And then, and then there are those who, unfortunately, wish to profit from it without any of the really solid foundation in what this is, and the solid training, and and the years of personal practice and 
expertise that goes into it as well. Um, so, but there are people bringing it into organisations perhaps from that perspective as well. I, so I think it's a little bit of a mixture there as to whether it's actually mainstream or not. But broadly in the society, it's certainly getting more and more traction, particularly as there's a lot more research done about it now. If yeah. you look at the number of scientific, peer-reviewed, researched articles from some time ago, very few, but now, I mean, I haven't checked recently, but in the hundreds of thousands of peer-reviewed articles about mindfulness. And that's certainly helping to have people realise that, oh, this is something that has credibility, makes a difference in a workplace, really has a big impact on people's leadership skills and is something that's worth exploring. And which, and then I, again, jumping to conclusions, that there must be some form of correlation where where mindfulness is practiced um, in an organisation with leaders or throughout that there's some correlation with performance? Oh, absolutely, yes. It, because it's not just about well-being, though it is definitely that, and a lot of people do come to it from that perspective. They They feel like they're needing something that I guess like I did back in the 80s like I needed it for my well-being back then or that's how it was first introduced to me but yes there is a lot of correlation there with the impact that it has on performance as well very much so and on our mental effectiveness so that so that really we can realize more of our potential on both a professional and a personal level a lot of it's about mental effectiveness and so with with what you do with the potential project um if and gosh it sounds like I'm putting you on the spot but I mean if somebody were to phone up and say okay you know um we really want to help our people with mindfulness and we know about all the benefits and what have you um can you do it next Tuesday for a couple of hours (laughs) how might you respond and I'm trying to be (laughs) non-judgmental I really like to know what the intention is. Is this just a tick and flick exercise because they've heard that, oh, this is a good thing and then we can say, oh, yeah, we've done that. We are really wanting to bring this into a culture and we are so fortunate to have global contracts with very big organisations where they are very, very committed to making this part of how they do things. It's part of their culture it's making a real difference. And it's not just in that aspect, but they build it into all of the other, the ecosystem of how they run it, their business as well. Uh-huh. So they're really willing to look at how does this play out in our structure and in our remuneration and in our comms and in our strategy and in our policies and in so many different ways as well. So that's where it is an absolute joy and very, very rewarding to do it like that. Other organisations, I guess they need to start with where they need to start. And if where they need to start is with a two-hour thing next week, well, I'll talk to them about that and why and what are their reasons and how can we help, all of that kind of thing. So I I understand that people have to start and companies have to start with the 
the business case with the intention for how it might make a difference with the leadership backing and support with yeah and and in all sorts of different ways so yeah there's a whole spectrum in terms of how people contact me thank you for reframing that for me <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm learning as i go even in this uh, in this short hour thank you jenny uh, I, i'm wondering just what you're talking about with an organization is is there are you able to share a story of an organization that you've worked with or or a particular leader or um, maybe there's case studies on the website or what have you but just to to give us an example of a, a culture change or without naming names yeah by all means and probably a good place to look is on our website as well because you're right we do have case studies there as well and I've got certainly more that I could send through to people but it's about I'm thinking of some places because we do, when we engage in a program rather than just a one-off session, we do some fairly detailed surveying beforehand and then afterwards as well. And then we can really see what the difference has been there. And it's really incredible when we get to see examples where their ability to manage this thing that, people think is a real thing called multitasking for example and how that's just improved out of sight and so we have examples where people's well aggregating together the results of all of the people who've participated in this program have been able to get significantly high improvement in how they manage that and that can be 50 60 80 even higher than that wow difference and so thinking of some particular cultures, they have, to, I mean, and this is one tensey aspect. I don't think that everything that we do is all about busting the myth of multitasking. That's <laughs> one tiny, tiny aspect. But to have people come back to us afterwards and say, you know what, we have really built this into our culture now where we've brought in these rules of mental effectiveness that we talk about and we now find that we're able to get things done faster we're making less mistakes and people are less stressed as a result of all of this. But it's also things like the, the bringing in that quality of openness and beginner's mind that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I've had others say that they have really embedded this now into their safety, into the way that they work from a safety perspective. Ah. And they are seeing as time goes on that that's making a difference to their near misses and all of you know, all of their other safety stats as well because they've engaged it into all of their processes when it comes to safety in such a big way. And then there's the individuals as well where like I'm thinking of one particular leader who I worked with where before the program started she was very, um, very, very stressed about all of the events that had been going on in life and so much more to it than that and has these months later feels like I've really got agency now I've really got the ability now to to deal with these stresses as they come along so I guess there's a bit of a mixture in there Claire sorry yeah no no I interrupted you sorry I'm just thinking about the ripple effect of that 
into that person's home life and well definitely into their home life but as a leader I think that we hold a lot like there's as a leader there's a lot riding on what you do and and the ripples to use your word that flow from your actions spread wide touching a lot of people and your your actions come from your mind like it's what you're thinking that then leads to the action that you take and so and as a leader that real those ripples do really spread a long way and actually linked to that I was just thinking back to what you said before about sort of unpacking mindfulness you mentioned I think you mentioned um kindness gratitude compassion so it's 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 a whole um bundle of gifts so to speak <laughs> and <laughs> and I believe that um that the head of your organization Rasmus Hugard and Jacqueline Carter have published a book on compassionate leadership can you share a little bit about about that yeah I would love to it's a great book it's quite groundbreaking I think it's called compassionate leadership how to do hard things in a human way and it was published last year by Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review published mm-hmm. it before that as well. That was called Mind of the Leader. But compassionate leadership is, I mean, I love that tagline, how to do hard things in a human way. Yes. Which I think is a great, a great tagline there for the book. And that's what it's about. It's about knowing that as leaders, we have to do things that are hard. We have to have those difficult conversations we've got to close offices or we've got to shut down projects or we've, you know, any number of hard things you you know are definitely part of being a leader. And you get some people who are really great at doing the hard things, but they might put the results before people. And then there are also those aspects of leadership that really does require care, but you get some leaders who let care for their people, be a barrier to them actually taking action and doing some of the hard things. And, and then, of course, you get a group of people who are sort of in that ineffective indifference box where they are neither getting the results by doing the hard things and nor are they bringing their people along mm-hmm. with them or showing care for their people. So the book Compassionate Leadership is really about how can we be in that sweet spot where we're still driving for results and we're having the courageous conversations and we're being direct and we're being transparent and we're really creating that winning team and we are doing it with the care for our people. So it's not a soft thing at all. It's very hard, but it's a lovely combination of the care or the compassion and doing the hard things. You know, it's funny as listening to you speak there just took me straight back to um, when I had to make uh, three quarters of the staff. I was running a call centre and I I had to make a a lot of staff redundant. And, you know, we had the voluntary redundancies first, but then came the really difficult thing, Mm -hmm. um, which was the forced redundancies. And I think, you know, I, I... I think I lent probably in hindsight so far down the empathy route that it cost me Mm -hmm. 
um, and you know, I, I it was it was it, it was a great result for the people I was coaching to help them see that there was light at the end of the tunnel, um, but at a cost. And can some can empathy sometimes be a double edged sword? Yes, it definitely can. And in fact, empathy and compassion are different neurological circuits within the brain Mm -hmm. as well, which is why we talk about compassion. What we actually say is connect with empathy, but lead with compassion. So we need to connect and, and see that there's that pain or that suffering or the emotional difficulty that the person is going through or the hardship that they're about to be experiencing. But rather than being stuck in empathy, which is really more of an, an emotion, what we do instead is take a little bit, having connected with empathy, we take a bit of a mental step back and ask, how can we be of service? How can we help? And it means then that compassion is more of an intention yeah. to help. Rather than an emotion, it's an intention. And when we come to difficult situations from that perspective, from how can I alleviate suffering or how can I help rather than just sitting with the heaviness of the emotion that comes with empathy, it's found through the research studies. It's really interesting to look at the research of Tanya Singer in Germany as one of the people who's researching this. But what we also hear through the work that we do is that then people feel that they've got more sustainability as a leader than when they're doing those forced redundancies. I absolutely get that. And I mean, for me, it was, in a way, it was, I saw it as a blessing in disguise because I then chose to leave the corporate world and, and go full-time into people development. But but had I mm-hmm. not, I think it, it would have taken a, a while to um, to recharge myself to, to to be able to, to sustain mm-hmm. um, my ability to continue to lead. How fascinating. It is fascinating. It is really fascinating. And so that's part of what's in that book. And the other thing in that book as well is, well, it's unpacking that difference between empathy and compassion and the need for both. But it also then gets into a very practical way that all leaders can cultivate their ability to be in that sweet spot of both wisdom and compassion or human performance, as we call it. So, yeah, it's a book that I would really recommend if people are interested in this. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to the to the show notes on it. So, um, again, it's funny. I'm, I'm now thinking every question I'm asking you, I'm thinking, is there an assumption behind that? Is there a judgment behind <laughs> that? <laughs> but I'm just going to ask anyway. Thinking about, you know, in, in some of your programs, um, are there sometimes people who are, should we say, a little bit cynical or sceptical about the concept of mindfulness when they start and how maybe you deal with that or you've never had a sceptical person in any of your programs? I have never had a program where there's not someone who's (laughs) sceptical. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, very common and very understandable as well. And so by the the end of it, there will be some who still remain sceptical and that's absolutely fine. And then there will be some who are sceptical beforehand who are prepared to treat it as a bit of an experiment and give it a go. And 
then they may decide to continue with it or to not continue with it. And then there are others who are sceptical who are like, oh, my gosh, this has really made a difference to me. I'm going to keep going with it. And there are, and there are those who are never sceptical to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah, we get, we get the whole mixture and I completely understand that as well. That's also part of why we like to, in every session that we run, we bring in the science and the research into mm. it so that it's not something that it's just coming from us. And because, like I was saying, you can buy mindful mayonnaise and it is a bandwagon that people have jumped on, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it actually is. So I completely and totally understand how and why people would be sceptical when they come to something like this. Yeah. I remember um, when we were doing our um, uh, dealing with change and building resilience program, I actually uh, sort of rebranded it as present attention awareness, um, mm. I suppose for fear of that 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 stereotyping of of what mindfulness is. Um, but maybe that, you know, we, we, on the one hand, we've got the bandwagon and on, on the other hand, I think we've got uh, a, an enlightening or an, a, a, a deeper understanding of the of what it is, what it isn't and some of the core benefits. That's right. And it's not like what we do is just purely mindfulness. That is, I guess you would say the foundation, but there is so much that springs from that. From training our mind, there is so much that springs from that as well. So we really bring in so much more about how to lead ourselves, lead others, lead change, lead our ecosystem. We're bringing in all about the growth mindset and various mental strategies that support us with with developing ourselves to be the sort of leaders that we that we want to be yeah. that we want to be because really i mean who would want to work for someone who's reactive or distracted or not present or got a fixed mindset or not open to new ideas or using those examples i gave before that they put results before people yeah. or they're so caring that they don't get results i mean who would want to work for someone like that or do we want to work with someone who's present with you who listens well is courageous and direct and clear and has care for their people and yet has a has a backbone has a strong yeah. back and a soft front in the role in a way so so i guess with mindfulness and compassion it's underpinning all that we do but we work with companies to really explore these concepts of mental agility and focus and awareness and human performance and resilience and non-reactivity and all of those other things as well i i rem- i remember meeting um someone very senior at Commonwealth Bank, I was I was speaking at a conference, and there were some amazing people at that conference. Brene Brown was speaking, Sean Aker. I mean, just amazing, wow. amazing people. And yeah. and I was like off in a little side room in NIDA. But I, I was introduced to to this person, and I felt so important when he spoke to me. He was so present. And I'm just thinking, well, hang on a minute here. You've got all these amazing people and there's just little me uh, in a side room. And I tried to think, what what was it? What was it about that? What was it about he was doing or not doing or thinking or not thinking that made me feel as if I was the only person at this huge cocktail party? <laughs> and you know, you're talking about working for leaders who can be present with you and, and working for leaders who have those other qualities and I have worked for leaders with those other qualities and I didn't stay working with them. <laughs> if, there, if, if there were 
are one or two things that you could say when you've been with someone who's truly, truly present with you? What's the essence of that? I think a few things, being present, definitely, like actually being present with you. They're there, like they're not getting distracted by all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that is so key. And I think another thing as well is selflessness, Mm. where they're prepared to put their own ego to the side to see you for who you are and to hear you for who you are and all of the gifts that you bring. I think that makes a big difference as well. And bringing that, the compassion side of things as well. So it's, it's, that person having awareness and wisdom, selflessness, doesn't mean that they're giving up what they already know or their expertise or something, but they're just willing to be with you. What was your what what did you think from that experience then of the person who you felt was so present with you? Yeah, I felt that they were they the way that he sort of looked at me, he wasn't looking around. He was actively listening. He was curious, so I'd say something, and then he said, oh, tell me more about that. And I'm thinking my own body language was, oh, gosh, you know, he must be wanting to go on to the next person. But then I stopped telling, I stopped the self-talk and telling those stories so I could be more present with him. And it was probably about, I don't know, it was seven, seven or eight-minute conversation but I just, it's how he made me feel mm. was so special. Mm. And I think I can probably count on, on, on one hand that, that, that depth and, you know, what it, I'm being flippant here. It's not that he was good looking or charismatic or something like that. He was, <laughs> he was just totally present with me. Um, yes. And I think, you know, if we can cultivate that in each other and, and, and help ourselves to, to, be more present and I know for me it will absolutely be a lifelong journey I am oh I'm I'm I've I've got a PhD in bright shiny object syndrome so (laughs) 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 this this conversation is helping me so much oh Jenny I could um I could talk to you all day about this um um we've got the potential project website are there, and um would it be okay if i put your uh, linkedin details on the show notes oh please do that's a great way for people to contact me thank you and are there any any other um resources or would it is it the potential project what about your other the other um open wisdom is there that's really more for the community programs that I run. So unless people are in the Blue Mountains, then that's probably not as necessary. I've got a jennystedman.com.au website as well. Lovely. And um, I, I'm, I'm not overly great at keeping that up to date, but it's a it's a bit of a synopsis of, of me at least. But the Potential Project website and my LinkedIn profile. My email address is fine as well if that's the sort of thing that you're happy to put onto show notes that's fine too thank you and 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 to wrap up if there was i don't know one tiny little be, bit of practical advice that you could when someone's like well okay what 
what might be a first step? What's something I can do? You know, just literally once I've listened to this conversation, I can go away and do um, that will help me understand this just a tiny bit more. What might that be? To help understand it a little bit more or to experience it a little bit more? To experience it. Okay, so to experience it. Can I say two things? Of course you can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, and this will sound flippant as well, but I don't mean it to be so, but it's taking little pauses throughout the day and just feeling your breath go in and out, even if that's just for three breaths, mm-hmm. feeling how that feels in your body. That will give you an experience of it. And the other thing that I was going to say was giving yourself a break as well. Yeah. <laughs> we have such high standards for ourselves and we think that unless we're doing brilliantly all the time that we can't do this thing or we should be doing better, I think one of the real benefits that can come out of this is just being able to be kinder to ourselves, treating ourselves with the same sort of kindness that we would show to a dear friend Mm -hmm. and just experimenting with that from time to time. Wise words indeed. And I know, Jenny Stedman, that you've had a ridiculously busy morning and you are just walking your talk and you've just stopped taken a pause and been so wonderfully present in this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really value this opportunity, Claire, being on your podcast, and it's been a real joy for me. I've loved it. It's been a great way to spend an hour, so thank you. (laughs) Me too, me too. It's of definitely mutual benefit, and once it's published, it'll be a benefit to so many more people. Jenny, go well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for. Did you know that Authentic Leadership is currently ranking sixth in the top 25 Australian leadership podcasts? You can help us get to number one by heading over to Apple iTunes and doing three quick things. One, subscribing. Two, giving us a positive rating. And three, writing a short review. This is the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out into the community. And before you go, if you're in the business of learning and development or HR and are looking for a facilitator or speaker, let's talk. You can head over to the BrainSmart website, that's brain-smart.com to see examples of our programs or email me, Claire, that's C-L-A-R-E at brain-smart.com. Go well and thanks for listening.